So I don't know how cold crap is because I've never actually seen a document that determined the temperature of crap. I don't know. But I do know one thing for sure. Right now at my house, it is actually colder than crap. Hey, everybody. Todd Conklin, Pre-Accident Investigation Safety Podcast. Oh, I almost said safety. Did you hear me? I almost messed that up. Safety moment. But this isn't the moment. This is the podcast because I want to have a little discussion. I've got all sorts of stuff to talk to you about. It's a crazy time. But let's talk about the fact that it's freezing cold. And what is this, what is this giant cold thing that rolls across North America? And why is it happening? And it's cold. And I know I'm kind of whiny. I'm sorry. And I try to not be that whiny because it's weather. I can't really control weather. The You know, weather happens to you. And you really must learn at some level pretty early in your life, hopefully, to embrace it because, um, you know, there's not much you can do to change it. And I will tell you, I'm a big believer in the fact that there's no such thing as too cold. You just have on the wrong equipment. I get all that. I totally get it. I get it at an intellectual level. I get it at an operational level. It's just cold, and, you know, it's cold, and I'm I'm done with cold. I'm ready for some kind of beautiful non-coldness, and that could be because I've spent a little time in Latin America the last couple of weeks, and um, I've seen how the other half, and by other half, I truly mean hemisphere, uh, lives, and uh, dang it, it was pretty sweet, and then I had to come back here where it was, like Houston was cold, like places that aren't supposed to be cold were cold. And so then I had to deal with the coldness, and the coldness is, you know, a part of it. And that's a challenge for ding-dang sure. But other than that, we're good. Gosh, there's, um, it is an exciting time to be alive. It's an exciting time to look at stuff. The interesting data that's happening now with air traffic and air traffic control is, um, is a little bit worrisome. Well, it's certainly more than a little bit worrisome. It's worrisome, but it's a very interesting opportunity to start thinking about um, drift and accumulation and how systems move and entropy and how systems move from sort of order to chaos and uh, and all the things that are associated and happening simultaneously around systems that were thought to once be relatively stable we're realizing actually have a lot of inherent brittleness no surprise i don't know why i'm surprised by it i shouldn't be surprised because we identify brittleness all the time but it has become quite an interesting discussion and it's really interesting to me on how they're going to choose as a globe and i'm talking sort of ico and and faa and all the all the sort of agencies that are interested around the world in Toto el mundo um at looking at this how they're going to approach it because the the potential to look at this as a person problem is uh, relatively strong and certainly a part of the dialogue at least on the journalism side um air traffic controllers make mistakes doctors make mistakes uh people that work in refineries make mistakes everybody makes mistakes mistakes are super normal and non-causal we know that because mistakes aren't choices they're mistakes and looking at things like inattention or complacency 
or boredom or burnout as moral failings probably is the same slippery slope. Because my guess is, you tell me if I'm wrong, the research is pretty strong on my side, so I might win this argument. But the research tells us that, you know, these aren't necessarily moral choices that workers are making. This is really a function of a system that's been stable for a while. And because the system's been stable for a while, well, that puts us in a position where, (laughs) there we go, people are going to sort of become inattentive or burned out. I mean, there's just just a lot going on right now. And uh, to an extent, I think it's somewhat predictable. At least in my view, I'm guessing we should have seen this coming. I didn't see it coming. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not like I have any expert eyes. But we should have seen it coming because my guess is is some of the instability we're feeling is probably a response to the fact that the uncertainty we've been through with the pandemic at all um, has really created an environment where we've leaned pretty pretty heavily on the expertise of workers creating adaptive stability in practice. And we might have kind of come to the end of the pool of adaptive capacity from which the workers are drawing from. Did that sentence make sense? Are you with me? So we've been we've been uh, we've been using the leftover attention resource as much as we can, and what's happening is now the leftover attention resource is getting used up, and we're we're running pretty brittle. Just something to think about. I mean, it's it's definitely uh, uh, something to think about because I, I think it fits in in the cycle. Let me rephrase it just so I don't lose you completely. During the uncertainty, the pandemic and all the other associated things that happened, what happened was this really interesting, amazing thing, and that is that workers came in and filled in the gaps. And we saw that happen around the globe. And if you're in the leadership level, you were amazed by it because they just they just went in and, and filled in those gaps, whether it's in a hospital emergency department or a warehouse or on, on board a vessel. They just kind of made things happen, and they did it because they had to. And what happens is is we've relied on that, and to a great extent, now the energy and excess time that they use to actually do that adaptive work is getting sucked up by the very adaptive work that we're talking about. And so maybe we're at the edge of sort of fragileness again. It's something to think about. That's all I'm saying. I'm just kind of plant. I'm just launching that into the universe. Bloom. There it went out in the universe. Cause it's, it's something that we ought to think about as for the rest of the world. Holy guacamole, isn't it a fun time to be alive? I'd say that again. And it's kind of fun to see people. That's been great. And I've gotten to do some great little journeys and hang out with people. Um, it was I got nothing but kind of exciting, fun stories to tell. I mean, I, I don't think I have any icky stories to tell, at least not on the top of my head. I can't think of any icky stories to tell you. So that's good. If I have less icky stories and more positive stories, then I'm doing something right. That is the measurement 
by which I do right things. I'm excited today because today I want to talk to you a little bit. It's kind of a, a double header. It's just a discussion because um, I got a lot of podcasts uh, to get out. I, I need to. I've talked to a lot of really interesting people. There's a a couple really cool ones coming up, so get excited about that because I, I know you are. And it's always great to talk to people. But I I came across a quote that I saved um, a couple years ago, and I want to. I want to share it with you and see what you think, um, because I think that's going to be an interesting part of how we see the world. I do think we have the potential to talk about a couple of important things out of this one. Okay, let's talk about the quote I want to share with you. So here it is. It's uh, from a person named Jeff Price. Don't know a thing about Jeff Price. Except I snapshotted this quote, took a photo, and said, this would be really an interesting topic to think about. And then I started thinking about it, and I went bananas. I went crazy on this. Um, just crazy. And, uh, and so I wanted to share the quote with you. And it says, I suspect even with the wealth of data riches that exist in our organizations, Deming would recognize that not everything important can be managed and that managing data and managers still have to make decisions in the absence of data, even in a world filled with data. And then this person goes on with an ellipse, you know, that's three dots, dot, 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 and says, data isn't meaning. So I've thought about this a bunch, and I want you to kind of think about it as we talk today, whatever you're doing, driving the car or walking the dog or whatever the case is, is that I think we we look at data, and this is why we have this desperate need to determine predictive data, leading data sets. We talk about them all the time like they're, they're these things that exist. Well, you know, we, we can pulse leading data. We can get predictive metrics. We can do predict, predictive algorithms. We can, uh, if we collect enough data, we will be able to predict what will happen next. We can, we can actually predict with 99.6% accuracy what's going to happen next. And then it never really works. And I think part of the reason it never works is because the future hasn't happened yet, and the future is is bedeviling, because more bad things can happen in the future than are actually going to happen in the future, thank God. But I think part of it is, is we've sort of wound ourselves up into believing that data somehow equates meaning, and that data actually will address the mail for sense-making. But in fact, what we know is data actually, I think data helps us understand what has happened. So it helps us have a good picture of how we've performed as an organization. The challenge is, is that it still leaves us in a place where we may not have enough data to actually predictively make the next decision. And so we have to count on interpretation. And we have to create meaning from this world. And that notion of creating meaning, which sounds kind of fluffy a little, like, you know, a sort of hot rock massage 
or aromatherapy kind of in that area, sort of the fluffy side of the house, if I say create meaning. But in fact, that's exactly what you do. You disambiguate uncertainty and you do that by creating meaning and you become better at it because my guess is a you do it all the time so you have experience doing it that's helpful but also you have the ability to move in an agile fashion very quickly based upon what happens when you make these meaningful interpretations and i love how this jeff fellow whom i don't know but kind of like that comment clearly i love how he took it back to even deming because that does kind of give it a certain different je ne sais quoi. It, it, it gives it a, a certain amount of importance. Because Deming clearly told us in many ways that it, if it matters, it must be measured. And if it's not measured, it does not matter. And we've been to a thousand meetings, maybe even a million meetings, where people have said, you know, you you measure what you manage. Well, okay, that's true. I mean, that's I couldn't argue with that. However, I would say it's true, but it's insufficient. It's true, but is it in fact enough? And the answer is no. It's not. We still have to count on people. That's you and I interpreting this data, giving it meaning in order to determine what it means, which I actually think is the very crux of the argument around this idea of forward-looking metrics, of predictive metrics, of leading data sets. And if you think about that, that becomes... Well, in in a way, I think it becomes a a kind of a refreshing conversation because it's not nearly depressing. It's not like, hang your head, we don't have them, shut up, quit asking about them, because that does enter the argument pretty quickly. What it really is is a pretty interesting opportunity to say all the data we can collect helps us create meaning because all the data we collect is all the data we can collect, but it's not all the data we need. And so the information we need, the meaningfulness, the uh, the awareness, right? That part, the operational understanding, that part we count on people actually making real-time adaptive interpretations and then pulsing those interpretations and changing if need to or staying the same if they work. That's incredibly helpful. I know it doesn't seem probably helpful in this conversation, but that's okay. This is just a goofy podcast. I mean, you know, it's 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 just a podcast. Where I think this is more interesting to think about and really much more interesting to watch, to observe, is when it's happening in your life, in the work you're doing, with the important people that you work with, and the important critical things that you manage. All the data you can collect is valuable and important but it's not sufficient. There still are things that happen that we don't measure. There are things that don't happen that it's impossible to measure because you can't measure something that doesn't take place. That's a tough one. So we have to interpret all this information in order to give it meaning. And that's what we do. And that's, I think that's a vital definition of what leaders at all levels of the organization do. 
And so when we talk about the fact that leaders really have the ability to sort of drive the organization's culture, what we're really talking about is leaders and their ability to interpret meaning to insufficient data in order to guide and steer the organization as it moves forward through time, they're powerfully influencing the organization and all its people. That's a pretty cool way to look at it, right? I mean, and I think that little quote is a worthwhile quote. I mean, I really like the fact that it says, I suspect even with the wealth of data riches, there's lots of data out there, Deming would recognize that not everything important can be managed and that managers still have to make decisions in the absence of data because data isn't meaning. What do you think? Super interesting idea. That is a short but sweet little podcast that I wanted to share with you. I, 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 it's, now is your turn to chew on it. That's, it's your turn to think about what I've been thinking. I've been thinking about this for a long time. I mean, I read this quote and I thought, this is a good quote. I'm stealing. I'm taking this baby in. This one's going in. And I took it in. And I, I've, I really like this idea. I like this idea because it allows me to really understand what well, allows me to do two things. One is it really, it, it addresses the fact that we can't seem to crack the code on predicting the future, which, I mean, I figured that out that we weren't cracking that code a long time ago. So it's, it's kind of like, I don't know if you, my theory is when somebody says they're going to call you back, I always assume they're not going to call you back because then you're never disappointed when they don't call you back. Well, it's kind of the same thing managing expectations, if you will, that when people say we need to find this, you know, predictive data, we need to find leading data sets. Um, I, I just assume there aren't any, and then I'm not disappointed when we don't find them. So I'm managing the expectation. So that part isn't terribly interesting to me. The fact that someone's bold enough to tell you that data isn't meaning that I think my friends is a really good, that's a pretty good retort. This data is good. It's it's there's a lot of it, and and we got it, and we collect it with great discipline. But it's not meaningful. I mean, that's that that's a pretty significant thing. That that gave me something to think about, and I kind of bet it's working for you too, because it's really a big part of it. That's cool. What else? Oh, I owe Bill Hoyle, the world famous uh, Bill Hoyle, is just one of my favorite people. And if you don't know him, um, he was a uh, he's still alive. I mean, he's he's still out there kicking around. But he worked for years and years with the Chemical Safety Board in the United States, and he's just a—he's an investigator's investigator. He's just a—he's a preeminent investigator. He's really good, smart cat, understands all the stuff we talk about. But what is really interesting to me is he's also kind of one of the cooler musicologists that I've ever met. And so all that effort that he put traditionally in his career in understanding how systems fail, he's also kind of shadowed that same effort in thinking about music and bill hoyle sent me an email so i'm just gonna i'm just gonna admit it i'm becoming an old man i don't know how this happened but i didn't really follow the grammys very closely this year partially because they happened without i didn't really realize it was happening and so i didn't know at all that bonnie Raitt won song of the year 
with a song called Just Like That, which is a, a tribute to John Prine because the great John Prine passed away, and I played a Safety Joe tribute. And if you don't know who John Prine is, man, stop the podcast right now uh, and go to whatever your music shopping choice is and look up John Prine because he's just this quintessential American folk singer and you will love John Prine. Uh, it's, I, I don't know if I've ever met anyone who doesn't like John Prine. So you're going to like John Prine, but Bonnie Raitt wrote this song called just like that. And it's actually about, um, I don't know how much I should tell because I want, so maybe I'm not going to tell you what it's about because I want you to listen to it. It is, it is a beautifully written song about a beautiful thing. A really beautiful thing. If you don't tear up, I'll give you a nickel. And I, I probably have a couple. Yeah, I've got, I can see some nickels where I'm sitting. So I got some nickel. I can pay you off on this bet. She wrote this song. And in the midst of a bazillion incredible songs this year, seriously, uh, so many good tunes to choose from, the Grammy folks chose Bonnie Raitt's song just like that. And so Bill Hoyle sent out a little thing with the backstory on it. And I'm so glad you did, Bill, because I just didn't, I didn't know. And so I listened to it and it is amazing. It's just, it's, I kind of think, oh, I'll just, I'll just, I'm not going to tell you what the song says because that'll ruin it. But I'm going to tell you, you should listen to it because that song gives me hope. And I don't know when I've said that. Honestly, I don't even know when I've said that about a song. So I like songs and they're fun and they're great to listen to, but this one kind of gives me hope. And you know what? I noticed that I might need, I might have a little hope deficit. I need a little hope. So Bonnie Raitt, the song title, just like that, it's the song of the year for 2022. It's been, it's been out a while. I'm just late to the party and I probably would have completely missed it. If not for Bill Hoyle, that's what you ought to be listening to. That if you do nothing else, take the time to listen to it. And if you listen to the end, then you got a little reward because people who don't listen to the end, they're not going to know that we had this part of the conversation. And you know what? They're going to miss out. But I'm not telling them. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being a part of the pod. It is always fun to have you. Tell your friends. It's always available. The numbers in the podcast just keep increasing, which is amazing to me at so many levels. But good things are happening. Proyecto Eke is happening. I uh, looked at a chapter. That's oh, oh, oops, I'm not going to say what it is, but it's a part of it. That's coming down the pike as well. So until then, my friends, that's the podcast today. Data is not meaning. There we go. Until then, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. That's important. Take care of each other. And for goodness sakes, be safe. Be safe.